In our consideration of the question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible, we have become aware that the opportunities of God's mercy that we now know are subject to change. Time is therefore an element in this limitation. We have been considering the first phase of this limitation in that there are specific times when God makes a special effort to enlighten every individual and induce him to turn away from sin. This was true in Old Testament times. Our Lord Jesus taught that there were special opportunities to be saved, that if man would not respond when the Holy Spirit was moving with special force, he would not respond in the future, since these influences might never be repeated. But God has, in every age, brought forth moral light through his servants. For example, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, we read these words, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, had in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So here it is declared that God has spoken in times past by the prophets, by his servants. The harvest of souls needing to be reached has always exceeded the laborers. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to 8, our blessed Lord is moved with compassion as he looked out upon the needs of men. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. According to our Lord's commission, the blessed gospel was to be preached to every creature. As we read in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. But in Romans 10, verses 13 to 15, we see that no effort is more sacred than this. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So it's a very sacred effort to go forth with the glorious gospel. But it is also a mission of great authority, for God identifies himself with his servants as they go forth with the glorious glad tidings. Our Lord Jesus affirmed this in Matthew 10, verses 14 to 15. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, 
it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. But how blessed are the opportunities of representing the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are to be special instruments to enlightened men as we go forth and endeavor to proclaim the glad tidings of our blessed Lord. The glorious ministry of John the Baptist is put forth in the first chapter of John's Gospel, verses 6 to 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. How blessed and sacred to be sent from God to proclaim the glorious glad tidings. The Apostle Paul was sent on a very specific mission, as we read in the 26th chapter of Acts, verse 18. God sent him to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So when such solemn invitations are extended to men through God's humble servants, a great opportunity is afforded unto men to receive the glorious light and truth of God when it is thus made available. If they reject it, how often shall they have another opportunity, if ever? In the second chapter of Romans and verse 4, we have seen that it is the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance. Thus, if men reject the gospel that seeks their very deliverance, shall such an opportunity be presented again to them. In the 13th chapter of Acts, verses 44 to 49, we read concerning this opportunity. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for the salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, or as many as were being ordained to eternal life were believing. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. So a tremendous opportunity of the gospel enlightenment was afforded by the humble apostle Paul as he went forth. And if men judge themselves unworthy of God's truth and unworthy of everlasting life, then the great apostle and his co-helpers turn to others. And certainly this day of opportunity would never return to the rejectors. 
So responsible is man in dealing with God's special times of illumination that he can refuse to be convinced by it and put it aside. If the Apostle Paul would have rejected the great shaft of light which shone down from heaven above the brightness of the sun, he doubtless would never have seen another such opportunity of salvation. In the 26th chapter of Acts, and verse 13, we read about this, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. Then in verse 15, And I said, after this voice had been uh, granted to him, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. So here the apostle had such a tremendous interruption upon his proud course. God not only shone down in this remarkable fashion, but also spoke to him in audible sounds. What a tremendous manifestation, and yet look what he could have done with this, as recorded in the 19th verse. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So in spite of all these tremendous manifestations, the great apostle could still have disobeyed the shaft of influence exerted upon him. And had he done this, his doom no doubt would have been sealed. But the tender appeals of the gospel go forth today by the direct operations of the Godhead. For example, in the 16th chapter of John's gospel, verses 8 to 11, we read that the Holy Spirit in a special sense, is visiting men with periods of great conviction of sin. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye shall see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And then in the third chapter, of Revelation, verses 19 and 20, we read a most sacred description, how the Lord Jesus is visiting men's hearts' doors, which sets definiteness that he can be heard and recognized, if men will. Here we read, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. This word knock is a very interesting term. It's not the word for pounding loudly upon the door, but is a word for a gentle rapping. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to force his way into our hearts, but he is nevertheless going to appeal to our hearts with such a definiteness that we can understand and comprehend his presence and his appeal. Now he affirms that if any man hear his voice and open the door to his heart in total repentance and total submission, total willingness to have such a glorified and dignified visitor to reign in his heart and life, the plain expression is that he will come in 
and will sup with him and he with me. What a tremendous opportunity it is. No wonder Pilate was faced with such a problem as the Lord Jesus stood before him. He said to the people, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And so we today face the tremendous responsibility as the Holy Spirit of God makes real the invitations of the glorious gospel. And as the Lord Jesus is manifested through his humble servants, shall we join hands with the many rejectors of old? Thus God grants to all men a real opportunity of mercy, but limits them according to our own reactions. If, as the Lord Jesus manifests his presence and appeals for entry into our hearts and lives, if we refuse and harden our hearts, he may never appeal with such tenderness again. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we truly marvel at thy great long-suffering and mercy toward us. We thank thee for the Lord Jesus, that he died for the sins of the whole world, so that the glorious opportunity of salvation might be extended to all. We pray that many may repent of sin and turn to thee and seek thy face for forgiveness and reconciliation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.